0: From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Emerson Sykes, a staff attorney here at the ACLU and your host. Women in the workplace continue to face barriers of all sorts. Gaining entry into male-dominated fields remains a challenge, while jobs typically associated with women often lack the flexibility afforded to their male counterparts. And some employers continue to force employees into impossible decisions regarding their work and families. Today, we're sharing the stories of two of our clients who both work for Frontier Airlines, Shannon Kitarowski as a pilot and Melissa Hodgkins as a flight attendant. Shannon and Melissa both suffered physical and emotional harm as a result of Frontier's inhumane treatment of employees that are pregnant or nursing. A bit later, we'll also hear from Galen Sherwin, an ACLU staff attorney working on women's rights who's filing federal lawsuits against Frontier Airlines on behalf of female pilots and flight attendants. Shannon and Melissa, thanks very much for joining us. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having us, Emerson. Thank you.
0: Well, it's such a pleasure to have you here. And I wonder if you can just start by telling us a bit about why you got into the airline industry and how your job eventually came into conflict with your decision to become a parent. And maybe we can start with you, Shannon. I know that only 6% of commercial pilots are actually women. So tell us about how you decided to get into this field.
2: I can't say that there was ever a 100% conscious decision. It just was in my blood. I was a kid that loved airplanes, loved everything aviation. And because my parents encouraged that love, it just was what I was going to be when I grew up. And that was a pilot. So when I graduated from high school, I started taking flying lessons. And in order to become an airline pilot, you don't just overnight become one. It takes a lot of years of training and studying and in my case, flight instructing after I got all my ratings, and basically eat, drink, and sleeping, aviation and whatever aspect you can. So when I was hired on at Frontier in 2002, and at 28 years old, I was pretty excited because that was my dream job. So getting hired was a huge thing. 28 years old and single, though I wasn't exactly thinking about kids and family and all that after I got married and got pregnant in uh, 2010 and had my first child, I just figured it would all work out because I had some tribal knowledge from some other female pilots. And that tribal knowledge was such that you could be a pilot and you could still breastfeed your baby and pump at work. And I just basically figured out when I could pump and Sometimes it had to be in airport lavatories. Sometimes it had to be in the aircraft lavatory. But whenever I had a chance, I would race off to a bathroom and go pump for my baby. When I got pregnant with my second child, I had no reason to believe that it would change at all. My baby was four months old. I was ready to pump. And I had a conversation with one of my fellow pilots in our crew room about... My Intent to Pump at Work, and that conversation was overheard by another pilot who reported me for going to be um, pumping at work. A few days later, I got a call from the Human Resources Department where they said they'd like me to come in and have a meeting with the HR department and our chief pilot regarding my returning to work as a new mom When I went to that meeting, they asked me questions that made me uncomfortable about my needs of pumping and why I was choosing to pump. And I left that meeting feeling as though this wasn't the same situation I was going to have with my first child of ease of going to work and doing what I needed to do to nourish my baby. Frontier kind of turned it into something that they felt as though you're a pilot, you need to choose between your career and being a mom.
0: Well, being a working mother is difficult under any circumstances, but Frontier Airlines clearly didn't make it very easy for you. And I want to come back to some of the details of Frontier's policies and their responses. Melissa, I'd love to hear from you. Sort of you're a flight attendant with Frontier Airlines and also face similar challenges. Can you tell us about how you came to this career and how it's come in conflict with your decision to become a parent?
1: So I've been a flight attendant at Frontier for almost 13 years now, and I started when I was sort of at a crossroads in my life. I realized that I wanted to experience my life through travel and through relationships with other people and learning about different cultures and just things around the world rather than be stuck behind a computer screen my whole life. So I started when I was young and free-spirited, and now I'm still sort of both of those things, but with a husband and two little kids. So I learned quickly that Frontier did not have policies or accommodations in place in regard to the need of pregnant and nursing flight attendants. What little language that there was really only applied to our ground employees. Frontier ignored what my doctors had advised as far as adequate time off that I would need. I had just some tough decisions to make. For example, in in particular, I knew that I wanted to try and breastfeed for a year. It was my goal. I didn't know if pumping on the airplane was something that I wanted to risk. You know, Frontier has made it clear in recent times that pumping is actually disallowed by flight attendants while flying on the aircraft. But at that time, it was sort of more like a don't ask, don't tell situation. And so on top of that, you know, an airplane lavatory isn't the most ideal place to be pumping breast milk, (laughs) as you can imagine. Time is the biggest factor. We get on the ground and if we're lucky, have 40 minutes. So, you know, running off to express breast milk, it's just not practical for for flight attendants to do. So of course, you know, it's super important that you keep that milk sterile and cold. I had to ask myself questions like how I was going to do that when I'm traveling for days and what happens when I have to go internationally and perhaps customs doesn't let my breast milk come through. What happens if I can't pump as often as I need to and maybe develop an infection? I contended with things like an unexpected drop in seniority after the birth of my first son and became a commuter to another base. Of course, there's a financial burden of having a loss of income and benefits, and this is all in addition to the rising costs of insurance. So, unfortunately and ultimately, I did decide to give up breastfeeding before my return to work, and as a result, of course, (laughs) suffered a great deal of emotional distress. I dealt with postpartum depression after having both of my children. I just know that it took me a really long lo- time to get my happy back. And of course I do feel that was a direct result of my anxiety over going back to work too soon and from you know making the heartbreaking decision to discontinue rather than nursing my children. It's your first shot as a mom and, and you feel like a failure. Yeah.
0: It's a a really dramatic story. And I think, you know, the decision to wean a baby is a tough one for any parent under any circumstances. I know my wife with our two children ended up pumping in very strange places in the school she works in. And I know we have colleagues here at the ACLU who have pump equipment drying on their windowsills. But it's a whole nother host of problems when you're dealing with a job in the airline industry where there are all these logistical issues. Can you talk about the kinds of requests that you actually made? I know, Melissa, you asked for light work towards the end of your pregnancy as a reasonable accommodation, but you were denied that even though other employees were given light work for back injuries or vertigo or other types of medical issues.
1: Right. Emerson, there was a time when crew members who were not fit to fly, as they call it, because of an on-the-job injury, you in OJI), would be accommodated elsewhere at Frontier. Oftentimes it would be like in the office so that they could continue to earn a paycheck. So, yes, with all of the unknowns that come with pregnancy, like, you know, Maybe your doctor is going to want you to stop flying early on if there's any complications. Or perhaps maybe women just want a comfortable place to pump breast milk after giving birth and returning to work. But yes, and it was something that they used to offer and that would certainly be a huge help in our case now. And unfortunately, it is no longer an option.
0: And Shaden, you've highlighted the fact that not only are women a small percentage of pilots, but there's actually a nationwide shortage in pilots. And you think that these kinds of policies from Frontier and other airlines actually contribute to this problem of the pilot shortage. Can you talk about the impact even on the industry of having these types of restrictive rules for parents? Uh,
2: Yes. So because... There is a pilot shortage looming as we see the baby boomers start to retire at historical rates. In order for airlines to be able to staff their airlines, they're going to have to tap into female pilots. People are not learning to fly at the same rate that they were even 20 years ago. So the untapped group that they need to dip into will be female pilots in order for women to decide to come into this industry, they're going to have to make parental leave and maternity leave options better. And it's going to come down to them, in my opinion, realizing that the amount of time that a woman needs to take off in order to have a baby is a very small, small time in their airline career. The way that airlines work, especially for pilots, is once you – choose an airline, you stick with that airline when you get to your major air carrier. And that's because seniority in the airline industry is what drives our schedules, it drives our vacation, it drives our accruing of sick time. So when you get hired with an airline, that airline needs to figure out ways to, you know, support you and keep you there and so in the 17 years that I've been at Frontier, I had two babies. I was out for six months total for both of my kids. That's one year out of 17 that I needed that support after having had a baby. So I think it's something that the entire industry needs to have the conversation about. In order to staff our airlines, women are going to need to be hired at higher rates than they have been. So let's open up that conversation of how we can support them during the childbearing years.
0: Well, maybe I'll just turn to Galen now. and Can you help orient us with what is the law on pregnancy and breastfeeding accommodations, and what are the claims that we're making in this particular lawsuit?
3: Sure. Thanks, Emerson. So pregnancy discrimination has been illegal in the United States for over 40 years. But unfortunately, you still see many areas in which there are serious obstacles to women once they become pregnant or start a family at work. And this is a case that really presents a very stark example of the form that discrimination often takes these days. Certainly, there are still Latent cases where someone reveals that they're pregnant and then they're fired or reveals that they're about to start a family in a job interview and they never get the job. But I think it's far more common, actually, to see a more subtle form of discrimination where there really are just these headwinds that women face when they do return to work after having a baby or when they first become pregnant, where the playing field just isn't even and they're not able to overcome those hurdles. So The main law is the federal law, the Pregnancy Discrimination Act. It makes it illegal to treat pregnancy worse than other medical conditions or other conditions at work that cause similar limitations. So if a Frontier is offering ground positions to people with other medical conditions, it needs to offer ground positions to pregnant women and breastfeeding women if they need them on the same terms. The Pregnancy Discrimination Act also outlaws policies and practices that have a disparate effect on women. So even if Frontier were not providing ground positions, forcing women off the job when they're pregnant and then not accommodating them when they return to work if they're breastfeeding obviously is going to have a disparate effect on female employees. And, you know, we think that contributes to the low rate of pilots in the field. We think it contributes to the high dropout rate of flight attendants when they start families. So these types of things are unlawful if there is an effect on women that, you know, is distinct. And that's certainly true here. I think this case also shows that pregnancy discrimination and breastfeeding discrimination are two sides of the same coin. A lot of times when women face discrimination during their pregnancy, they'll similarly find that they face obstacles when they return to work and are trying to continue breastfeeding, which, of course, requires women to have an opportunity to express breast milk or pump.
0: Well, and at every step, Frontier has defended their actions. I want to come back to Shannon and Melissa. Maybe, Melissa, can you start by telling us what was the reaction when you first raised concerns about how Frontier was treating its pregnant and breastfeeding employees?
1: Well, you know, our industry is unique in so many ways, but one of which is honestly just how impersonal it can be. You know, we literally check in in a room at the airport and then we're up in the air. So you know, to physically talk to management isn't an option anymore, especially nowadays when our offices are headquartered outside of the airport. So any kind of, you know, alternative ground assignments or extra time that I asked off for during my pregnancies was dealt with through, you know, our leave of absence department. It's just all really impersonal.
0: Well, it's quite striking that, you know, anyone who's been around someone who's pregnant or nursing would understand how important these considerations and these accommodations are. But from a bureaucratic standpoint, you could see how they might be overlooked. Shannon, what was your experience trying to raise concerns and getting a response from Frontier?
2: They very much treated me as though... I was basically an anonymity. They had never had this happen before with a pilot. They were never going to see it happen again with a pilot. It was just my own personal needs, and I must be the only person in the history of Frontier that had breastfed a child, which I knew for a fact wasn't true, but that's how management treated it. So they just did not want to go forward in a discussion of creating any policy. Uh, they just... Basically, we thought this would never come up again.
0: Well, Galen, in terms of the lawsuit, what has Frontier said about its actions? How are they defending themselves? They claim that they're in compliance with these laws. How do they make that argument?
3: They've so far made arguments that they don't provide any types of accommodations or ground positions to anybody, which just incidentally would put them out of compliance with the Americans with Disabilities Act. So we doubt that that is the case, but in any event, failure to comply with Another law is certainly not a good defense to failure to comply with Title Seven. I think they have raised safety concerns, which airlines are obviously a place where safety is paramount. Our pilots' paramount concern is safety of their passengers. Same thing with our flight attendants. But there are safety protocols that apply when a pilot, for example, takes a break to deal with physiological needs. If those are sufficient when the pilot uses the bathroom, they should certainly be sufficient for a pilot taking a break to pump breast milk. In fact, breast pumping is the only physiological need that's been singled out for this type of ban on use of breaks for that purpose. So those are some of the justifications that they've provided. We think they're hollow. And I think that certainly discovery in the case will prove that not only have they Offer these types of accommodations to others who have similar restrictions, but that they certainly at least engage in an interactive process where they'll pick up the phone and take their call. In our case, pretty much everybody who sought these accommodations was ignored or just rejected outright with no further attempt to even think about what types of solutions might be out there.
0: Well, it's certainly horrible to hear about how Shannon and Melissa were treated, as well as the other plaintiffs in our case. But the ACLU focuses on strategic litigation. That is, we focus on cases that not only help our individual clients, but also can have some kind of broader impact in terms of civil rights and civil liberties for other folks. So can you tell us about why, beyond just Frontier and our particular plaintiffs, why these issues rise to the level of strategic litigation?
3: You know, I think that Obviously this case has broad implications for all male dominated industries and this is a case where the standard around which workplace policies was formulated was really a male cisgender male bodied worker who did not experience pregnancy or breastfeeding or have any of those types of events in their lives. By now, in 2019, we know that the workforce includes women. And even though there are such a small number of female pilots, there are some, and Frontier has about 7% of its pilot body as females. So this is a completely foreseeable event in an employee's life, that they might become pregnant and breastfeed. It happens too. certainly over 80% of women will have a pregnancy over the course of their working life. So this is something that will affect a large percentage of their workforce. And that's true of every industry across the board. Unless and until employers start recognizing the very foreseeable event of pregnancy and breastfeeding for their workforce, Women will not have an even playing field. There's no way that women can succeed because the decks are essentially stacked against them.
0: Well, Melissa, maybe turning back to you, can you tell us about what it's been like over the last several years as you've been pursuing these claims to be a plaintiff in a piece of strategic litigation? And what do you hope will come from this case for your colleagues and for other working moms? You know,
1: flight attendants have this incredibly long-standing history of being subjected to sexism and discrimination. And yet still today, here we are in the 21st century, facing these challenges, this time in regard to our reproductive rights. Really, our lives become hindered when we start families. I wanna see the change in our industry that we rightfully desire. You know, at this point in the game, I want to be an advocate for those changes. I want for all of my flying partners in the industry to be educated with this knowledge that what's happening is discriminatory and to feel empowered, you know, for all people facing these challenges in their workplace as they become parents. We work really hard in our careers. We respect and take a great deal of pride in our, the responsibility of our roles and our rights as flight attendants, as women, as mothers, as parents. You know, they deserve to be addressed, and certainly they deserve to be protected.
0: Shannon, how do you see your role as a plaintiff in this strategic litigation? What kind of change would you like to see for the industry?
2: First and foremost, I don't want any new mom to ever have to go through that emotional drain that was basically put upon me and the other three pilots when you're trying to return to work after having a baby. I want the women to know through a policy that is created, I want them to know what their options are out there so there are no surprises. I want women pilots to know that they are supported and that management thinks that they are an equal partner to their you know, male counterpart that's also a pilot, that we deserve to be there too. And just because we might have kids doesn't mean that we're a less valued employee.
0: Well, Galen, maybe we can close with you. And I'm wondering... If you have any advice for folks who are listening who might be in a workplace where some of these issues come up, is there anything that folks who are allies or people who are being subjected to these types of policies themselves, what can they do to try to change things in their workplace and more broadly?
3: And there are plenty of things that folks can do. And bringing a lawsuit is usually not the first, right? This is a a last resort for certainly our clients. So obviously you want to advocate for your rights, but you don't want to lose your job. And everybody has to make their own call about how much they're willing to put their neck on the line for that. At the same time, there are resources out there. There's a lot of support. There are various hotlines that people can call if they're facing discrimination at work. There's a great organization called the Center for Work Life Law, as well as A Better Balance, which is another organization organization that deals with work-life issues. And those resources are available. There's a lot of Know Your Rights materials as well so that people can be armed with their rights. People should know that pregnancy discrimination is illegal, that discrimination on the basis of breastfeeding is a form of pregnancy discrimination and is therefore illegal, and that there are layers of protections not only in the federal law but at the state law level where they may have specific protections even related to breastfeeding that go beyond what is provided in the federal law. So So I think that people should be armed with information about their rights. If you're negotiating over accommodations that you need, it's really important to be educated about that and to be very specific about what you're looking for and what type of options you would be willing to consider. And, you know, when it comes down to it, if you are feeling like you're being discriminated against, you can seek legal advice.
0: Well, I really appreciate everyone taking the time to speak with us today. And Shannon and Melissa, as a frequent flyer, thanks for all of your work on behalf of your clients and customers, but also thanks for your bravery in being willing to try to stand up to Frontier Airlines and push for change. And Galen, thanks for coming back and helping us understand this crucial legal issue. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Emerson.
2: Thank you, Emerson. Thanks.
0: Thanks very much for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to subscribe to At Liberty wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the show. To support At Liberty and the work of the ACLU, please donate at www.aclu.org slash liberty. Thanks very much for listening. Till next time. Peace.